0: Father, this morning we just come to you, Lord, in the name of Jesus. Lord, we just thank you, we praise you, we worship you, Lord. Thank you, thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Lord. Thank you. We thank you for today. Thank you for the gift of life. Thank you, Father, that we are alive. We got clothes on our back. And if we were not feasting, we would have had food on our table, Lord. You have kept us true to your promise. We just want to thank you, Lord. As we look into your word, and the word looks into us, and as we pray later, I pray, Father, there would be a separation, Lord. Constant separation in us. Preparing us for the coming of the Lord. Separating us from the spirit of this world, the spirit of Babylon, and allowing the spirit of God to sanctify us completely, Lord, spirit, soul, and body to present us blameless on that day. So this morning, we pray, Lord, and commit ourselves into thy hands. In Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen, amen. Yes, we'll turn to Joshua chapter 3. And verse 2 and 3, and then continue. Yeah, Joshua rose early in the morning. They set up from the Akasia of Grove and came to Jordan. And he and all the children of Israel and Lot's there. And they commanded the people, saying, When you see the ark of the covenant of the Lord your God and the priests and the Levites bearing it, You shall set out from your place and go after it. Right. So you will see the directions to the people. The new generation begins here. Chapter one is about directions to Joshua. Chapter two is about the two spies who go into Jericho and come back with a good report. And chapter 3 is the directions to the people. So, generally speaking, God is speaking to us in chapter 3. And the first instruction is about the ark. And if, you, Like I said, if you read chapter 3, you will see 9 or 10 times the ark is mentioned. For 40 years, the ark was with them in the wilderness. And it went with them in their wanderings. Okay. And you will see, God took care of them. Okay. Were they a faithful generation? No. They were not a faithful generation. But God was faithful. Second Timothy chapter 2 and verse 13 says, Even when we are faithless or unfaithful, He remains faithful. He cannot deny himself. Okay? That is the picture of the ark in the midst of the first generation in the wilderness. That was a generation that was unfaithful or faithless. But God was in their midst and he was faithful. He took care of all their needs. He protected them. He provided for them for 40 years. Now a different generation is rising. It's going to be a faithful generation led by two faithful men. There are two leaders among them from the old generation. One is Joshua. The other is Caleb. Okay, These are faithful men who have proved their faithfulness in the wanderings. Two men proved their faithfulness. In Numbers 14 and 24, about one of them, about Caleb, this is what God says. But my servant Caleb... Because he has a different spirit in him and has followed me fully. Okay? So he talks about Caleb there. The spirit of Caleb is the spirit of faithfulness. So a different generation is going to possess the land and they are characterized, they're going to be characterized by this quality. Their forefathers, their previous generation were unfaithful, but God was faithful. The second generation is characterized by this man, Caleb and Joshua, and they are faithful men. So, when these faithful men are going to lead a new generation into the promised land, what you will see is Christ or the ark is not just going to wander with them, but it is going to take center stage. It is going to go before them. That's the difference. Okay, It's going to go before them. And we need to understand the point must come. In every one of our lives, if we don't want to wander, saved, wandered and waste our lives, the point must come when Christ or the Spirit of God takes center stage in our lives. That's what Romans 8, 14 says. Okay. As many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. To as many as who received Him, he gave them the power or the authority to become the children of God. That is John one twelve. That is how we were all born again. But they, these are not mature children. The children who will fulfill God's promise, the children who will possess what God has promised them are these. They are led by the Spirit of God. So you will realize there is a paradigm shift in the new generation. The ark is going to go ahead of them and they are asked to, Keep their eyes on the ark. Earlier, their eyes were on Moses. Now their eyes are going to be there. So who is here at the center stage? It is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, that's the Spirit of Christ, is going to lead them or has to lead the church, has to lead us as individuals. That's why the Bible says, and when he is leading us, we know he is leading us. You will see in the midst of your storm, midst of all your problems, what you experience is liberty. That's what Corinthians says, where the Spirit is Lord, the Lordship of the Spirit is established and we are actually following Him. We are not asking Him to help us, where in that case, we are leading and He is following us, okay? Instead, He is leading and we are following. The problem is, our old man, the old nature, we don't want to be led. We want to lead either by flesh or reason and we want the Ark of the Lord to be in our midst to supply the power. Okay, We don't want to live a life without the Ark. We want the Ark. But it basically to supply the power for our leadings. Okay, So we have to be very, very careful about this because we have to always, that's what the Bible says, examine your faith. Examine your faith. No, 13, 5, 2 Corinthians thirteen five says, "Examine your faith." When you examine your faith, the genuineness—not that faith is not genuine—but is it this kind of faith where the ark is going in the front? Is Jesus Christ in you? Okay, is Jesus Christ in you? Is this the—is the Lord leading you? Is the lordship of Jesus Christ being established? Because there can be a presumptuous faith. Okay, If you look at Numbers chapter 14 and verse 40 to 44. And they rose early in the morning and went up to the top of the mountain saying, Here we are. We will go up to the place which the Lord has promised for we have sinned. And Moses said, Now, why do you transgress the command of the Lord? For this will not succeed. Do not go up lest you be defeated by your enemies. For the Lord is not among you. For the Amalekites and the Canaanites are there before you, and you shall fall by the sword. Because you turned away from the Lord, the Lord will not be with you. Look at verse 44. But they presumed. This is what we call presumptuous faith, assuming God is with you. They presumed to go up the mountain. But look at the second part of it. Nevertheless, neither the ark of the covenant of the Lord nor Moses departed from the camp. The ark didn't go. That represented the presence of God in their midst. Their leader did not move. And you know what happened in verse 45? They were beaten. They were defeated. Okay? They were defeated. Then the Amalekites and the Canaanites who dwelt in the mountain came down, attacked them, and drove them back as far as Horma. Okay? So that was a presumptuous faith. If you look at that, the ark did not depart the camp ark did not depart the camp that's why we have to examine be very sure we are not trying to lead the lord push the lord don't presume be very careful that god is going before us and that's why god says wait see we have this issue with time god does not have an issue with time okay so waiting is very difficult how long how long how long how long how long but god says wait okay wait okay and the ark will go before you so this is where the Ark comes. Ark basically represents primarily Christ. Because Ark uh, in Jesus is the fullness of God. If you look at the Ark inside, the Ark is a very simple structure overlaid with gold. Inside are three different things. And on the top, there is something else. Inside you have the pot of golden pot of manna. You have Aaron's rod. And you have the Ten Commandments, okay. And all of it actually for us in the New Covenant, we will understand it. The Old Covenant, they carried it. They never understood it. Okay. In the New Covenant, we understand the golden pot of manna is Christ, the living bread that came from heaven, represented by the Holy Spirit in us, who speaks to us. If you allow Him, He will speak to us. And that's what Jesus is saying. Man shall not live by bread alone but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. If you listen carefully, even when I am teaching, you will hear God speak to you concerning your problems. And that is the part of manna. You realize every manna by the next day went bad if they kept it. But there was one manna which they carried for years and years together. It never went bad, which was inside the ark of the covenant. It was always remained fresh okay that is living bread it is not old bread it's not stale bread it's not molded bread it is living bread so the first thing in the ark is that our god is living he speaks and the spirit of god speaks is a living we have been the bible says we have been born again or to a living hope a living hope by the resurrection of jesus christ okay our faith is living so the first thing is jesus is represented there as the golden pot of manna where he speaks the second thing represented dead is Aaron's rod. It was like 12 rods were put before the Ark of the Covenant, or the Ark of Testimony. Next day, Aaron's rod had budded and blossomed. Okay, so out of something that was dead, new life came in. That is a Resurrection power. Jesus who was buried. His body did not see uh, destruction. Instead, he was raised up on the third day. That is a resurrection power. That is the power that is offered to us. The Bible says, My body, your body is dead because of sin. We were shaped in iniquity, brought forth in sin. The body is dead because of sin. But if the Spirit of Christ the Spirit of God that raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. He will quicken your mortal bodies to do God's work. So that resurrection power dwells in us. So that is the second thing is that is given to us. The resurrection power, the power of Christ, the resurrection power of the Holy Spirit. The third thing that was there are the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments represents in the Old Covenant, New Covenant, in very concise form. What does God demand from man? This is the righteousness that is demanded when man encapsulated in Ten Commandments. The perfection that is demanded from man. But it is kept there to let us know it was met by Christ and Christ alone. The perfection that God demands from you and me to enter into heaven was Met by Christ Jesus, the complete character, the perfection of God, righteousness, holiness was met by Christ. And that is the third thing kept over there. And what is outside? It is the mercy seat. So when you look at the mercy seat, we look at these three and we go to God and by faith receive the mercy that is offered freely. Now this is what is going before them. This is what is going before them. Okay, That we have forgiveness and we have remission for our sins through the blood of Jesus Christ. What was put on the mercy seat? It was the blood that was put on, representing the blood of Jesus Christ. So God is teaching the second generation over here. He's teaching a second generation. You know what? If you want to possess this land and you want to occupy this land and keep that land, You have to be led by my spirit. And he's telling us, if you want to possess the life of my son and keep the life of my son till the end of your life, you have to be led by my spirit. My spirit has to be Lord. Otherwise, you may occupy and you will lose it. Or you may not possess it at all. You may just wander in this life and just saved and go across on the day of your death. And eternally be discouraged, disappointed, because you look at what you could have had and what you lost. So, God has a design. Okay? God has a design. And God has a plan. God has a plan. He's telling them, this is how you should do. And God has a direction in which way you should go across the river. And the Bible says, God has a day. Okay? Go to verse 5. Joshua said to the people, sanctify yourselves. Okay? For tomorrow, the Lord will do wonders among you. Okay? Two things are mentioned here. One, what they should do, and there is a day mentioned. The day mentioned is called tomorrow. What are you supposed to do today? Today is the day. Today, if you hear the voice of the Lord, do not harden your heart. What are you supposed to do today? Sanctify. But there is another day called tomorrow. What happens tomorrow? Tomorrow is the day where the Lord will do wonders among you. So you remember, this is important. Okay, this is important. There are days fixed by God. There are days fixed by God. But the first condition is this. The first condition is the word there called sanctify. Sanctify can mean one, separate. It can mean consecrate. It can mean dedicate, it can mean surrender. All this it means, like when we have a baby dedication, what are we doing? We are sanctifying them for God's God's purpose, okay? Sanctify, it can mean separate, consecrate, dedicate, surrender. And if you go to Romans 12 verses 1 and 2. This is what the word of God says, okay, in Romans 12, verse 1 and 2. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, meaning this has to be done daily, constantly. It's a good time, seven days, we are on a fast, good time, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And then verse 2. Do not be conformed to this world, but... Be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good, acceptable and perfect will of God. Okay, we are not getting into that this thing, but let me tell you this. This is the truth. Most Christians will sadly live their entire lives without knowing what the will of God for them was. Because their minds cannot be renewed. Unless our minds are renewed. See, acquiring a lot of biblical knowledge is not a renewal of the mind. Please don't misunderstand these two things. We can have so much knowledge about the Bible without our minds being renewed. Okay? Because for the minds to be renewed, the primary condition is the surrender of our bodies. Okay, surrender of our bodies. So, Jesus taught to multitudes, but only 12 people actually left everything to follow him. They surrendered their bodies. And even when they surrendered their bodies, the surrenders were in stages. But the Bible says, two weeks back, Pastor Vijay we talked about Matthew and the others. They left everything and followed him. Okay, that's a point where actually they have surrendered their bodies. And therefore... When he's talking to the crowd, they don't understand anything. They have no questions to ask. Very few people ask questions. They sit, listen, and they go. But the disciples will always come and ask privately, what did you mean? And you would teach them. He would teach them. And the Bible says, after resurrection... He opened their understanding so that they could understand, opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. Why? Why are they able to understand? Why are they able to know God's will? And every one of them, except Judas, every one of them, if you check history, fulfill God's will in their lives. What was the primary condition? The primary condition was that they should surrender their bodies. And the thing is that if we don't surrender our bodies, It is not the renewal of the mind that comes, like now you have come. Simple example, okay? Today is a, for most people, it's a holiday, or students, it's a holiday, or people are a holiday, and if you are nearby, the choice you make is to surrender your bodies by coming here. That's the first act. By coming here, you have chosen to surrender your bodies, okay? And if you are following the discipline of the church, which was announced, which is each one has to choose it. To fast, you surrendered your body to step two of fasting, coming here. Now, the third thing you have to do is that now to surrender your body, see faculties of your bodies, primarily your ears and your eyes, to concentrate. So, there is, sur- without surrender, renewal does not take place. Without surrender, renewal does not take place. And because people struggle to surrender, Okay, struggle to surrender because whatever you have to do, you have only this body to do with. You don't have two bodies. Okay, I have two bodies. This body I will give you to God. Do whatever you want. This body is mine. Now please help me to do whatever I want. It doesn't work that way. We have only one body. Jesus himself says, a body you have prepared for me, O Lord, behold in the volume of the book it is written about me, I have come to do your will. So the first thing Jesus does is that he surrenders his body to his father, and the father is revealing his will to the son stage by stage by stage, because there is surrender. Where there is no surrender, the will of God will not be understood by us, because our minds cannot be renewed. Understand that, that's the Primary condition is surrendering our bodies. So the first thing he tells them is sanctify. Okay. Sanctify yourself for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. The first thing he says, sanctify, separate your bodies. And you will see in the old covenant, it was basically they showered, they bathed, and they washed their clothes and all. You you need to understand, okay, because people will understand why it is so, why it is so. It is not like we think, water was not easily available in the old days, okay, unless you lived by the river, okay. So people didn't wash like we think they did and clothes were very few, people had two pairs maximum, old days, I'm talking about ancient days, okay. So... uh, if you had old days in even US and all, if you had a bathtub, the first one who got in is lucky, he gets clean water. After that, the second one gets in, third one gets in, Okay, water gets dirtier and dirtier, okay? Because people are out, okay? So for them, it was an outward thing, washing your clothes, bathing yourself, anointing yourself with oil and all that, you know? So that was a form of sanctifying yourself. In the new covenant, God says, holy, acceptable in the sight of God. So, the first thing God asks them is, sanctify yourself. Now, we are here primarily allowing, first of all, you have to allow the word of God to sanctify yourself. Second, it is the spirit of God if you allow him to sanctify yourself. Third, it is the blood that sanctifies us. Fourth, it is the spirit, it's by faith we sanctify ourselves. And finally, we have to sanctify or cleanse ourselves. Because God says, if you sanctify yourself, what happens? There is a day assigned. Now that that day is not today. That day is tomorrow. There is a day assigned. Okay? Tomorrow, we know, like for us, tomorrow is fifth. Today is fourth, right? No, today is third. Tomorrow is fourth. Okay, no, We are not talking about fourth. We are talking about the concept about tomorrow. There is a day called tomorrow. A lot of people in their minds, their experiences, tomorrow never comes. Tomorrow never comes for so many. sad. It's true. This is a Christian experience for 2,000, 6,000 years. That tomorrow which God promised. What is that tomorrow? That tomorrow is when God will do wonders among you. That is tomorrow. When you actually experience the supernatural power of God, the power of God, that tomorrow never comes because before tomorrow comes, there are two things that needs to be done. There is a day called yesterday and there is a day called today. Until I have dealt with yesterday and today, tomorrow cannot come. God's tomorrow cannot come into my life. What is there? There is yesterday and there is today. Go to Romans 5 and verse 1 and 2. Therefore, having justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Peace with God. So what is that got to do with? It's got to do with yesterday. Right? We all woke up in the morning. Hopefully nobody sinned. All the sins were yesterdays and we have made peace with God and man connected with yesterday. Hmm? Okay. So if we have made peace with yesterday, all that is yesterday, as the Spirit shows us, we have peace with God. So when it comes to yesterdays, our past, what we need most is we need peace. Peace with God, peace with man. We need peace. Yesterdays are characterized by peace. If you do not have peace about your past, you cannot move into that day called tomorrow where God will do amazing things. There is a day called tomorrow where will God will do wonders among us. But first we have to deal with our yesterday. Yesterday. okay? Jacob has been running in fear, running in fear, running in fear. Okay? See, there is no point in prosperity without peace. Okay, when God prospers a man, the Bible says he adds no trouble to it. A lot of people are prosperous and tormented. They live tormented life. They have no peace. Ultimately, they kill themselves. You will see so many of them killing themselves. So, prosperity has no meaning if you don't have peace. Okay, so Jacob is very prosperous in every way. But he has no peace because he has no peace about Yesterday, when he's running from Laban's house, three days early he ran, still Laban caught up with him. (laughs) And and God intervened, so that was taken care of. And finally, you know, he struggles with God. Unless you bless me, I will not let you. And you know, God asked him a question. We we are very well versed now, we know it so well. God asked him a question, what is your name? Okay? Because he wants blessing. He wants blessing. He wants peace. He's overcome by fear. God asks him a question which has got to do with his past. When it comes to his past, he has no peace. Because now what we say, your past is catching up. The chickens have come home to roost, it says. Your past is catching up because where are you going? You're going back to Canaan. And who's there? Esau is there. The last thing you heard 20 years earlier when you left, that Esau is planning to kill you. And he doesn't know what to do. So God deals with him there and says, there is a tomorrow. And I'm going to do extremely powerful things in your tomorrow. But before I can do that with tomorrow, you need to deal something with your past. So tell me what is your name. He says, my name is Jacob. He said, good. Because 20 years ago, that was the issue. You cheated your father, you cheated your brother, you lied to your brother. That's why you have no peace about your past. Now that you have put it right, I will do wonderful things. And you will see the next day, I mean, if you have look at it chronologically, 20 years earlier when he ran away from his father's house, the Bible said, the sun had set. The next time it is written, the sun rose, is the next day morning. Twenty years later, the Bible says the sun rose. Now Jacob, limping, is running to meet his brother. They fall at each other's shoulders. They weep. Reconciliation taken place. You know why? God is doing a great thing in his life. Peace with his only brother. Peace, reconciliation. God is doing a wonderful thing because he has dealt with yesterday. Dealt with yesterday. We don't do a deal with our yesterdays. God cannot fulfill what he has promised about a day called tomorrow. There is a day called tomorrow. What is tomorrow connected with? Tomorrow is always connected with wonder working power of God. Go back to Romans 5. Romans 5, 1 and 2. Okay, so we need peace. And the second thing it says is that <coughs> through whom also we have Access by faith into this grace in which we stand. Today is always characterized by grace. And grace is the power of God. When you have peace about your past, you have the grace to handle today. And Jesus tells even Apostle Paul, my grace is sufficient for you. Okay, And you need to believe, if I am able to stand in God's grace today, it is sufficient for me. And then when you look into tomorrow, what is there? Rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. So this, I say, Romans 5, 1 and 2 in Microsome is the life of a believer. Peace about the past, grace for today, and hope of glory for tomorrow. Because so there is something about today. Today is connected with grace. I need to receive. How do I receive grace? By faith we enter into this grace. I have made peace with God and man about yesterday, therefore I am able to hear from God today, I believe, I am able to enter into His grace, and I understand, His grace is sufficient for me. Go to Romans, sorry, not Romans, Matthew 6, and verse 34. We know 33 very well. Children know Matthew 6, 33? What is Matthew 6, 33? Not that, that is 34. Don't look at the screen. should know 6, 33 by now by heart. See key first the, God and his, yeah. See, you know the scripture, you didn't know the reference. It is okay. Editors put reference. God never gave a reference. He just spoke. Okay? So you are on God's side, not on the editor's side. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. That is 33. And what does it tell us about tomorrow? Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow. Don't worry about tomorrow. There's a day called tomorrow. Okay, if you know tomorrow God is going to do wonderful things among you, will you worry about tomorrow? Why do people worry about tomorrow? Because we have not taken care of yesterday and today. Sufficient for the day. What is today come with trouble? What do God gives you for the trouble? Grace. What is, God says every day there will be trouble, because you are facing enemies. You are facing principalities, powers, rulers, demons, powers of wickedness, and men and women controlled by them. You are living in an absolute wicked world. The ruler of this world is a devil. The whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. You are going to have trouble. But he says, I give you grace for today. So there is a day called tomorrow. There is a day called tomorrow. And one of the ways you sanctify today, sanctify yourself, when? Today. One of the fundamental things we have to learn early morning, first thing in the morning is to sanctify ourselves by dealing with worry today. Don't worry about tomorrow. It shortens the hand of God. We will say, so whenever we think about sin, we think about all moral, ethical, no, leave that all aside. Everybody knows what it is. We are not talking about that. We don't realize worry is one of the worst sins that steals away the wonder-working power of God in our tomorrow. That tomorrow never comes because we are always worrying. There is a day called tomorrow. But God says, if you have to sanctify yourself today, how do you sanctify yourself today? By dealing with worry. Two things you have to do when you're connected with tomorrow. There are two things which you have to do. One, don't worry today about tomorrow. You have to consciously fight it. It's not easy. But after some times, you will learn. You will learn. You know what? It's a practice. That is what faith does. Okay, my God, my God, Help my God can supply all your needs. I can do all things through Christ Jesus. I know how to abase and abound. This man has experientially learned through trials and testings of life how to handle tomorrow by sanctifying himself today from worry, from fear, from doubt, from unbelief. He is dealing with Uh, Two things. Remember about tomorrow. How you handle tomorrow today. One, deal with worry, doubt, unbelief, fear. Deal with all these things. Second thing, James chapter 4, verse 13 to 16. Come now, you who say today or tomorrow, we will go to such and such a city, spend a year there, buy and sell and make a profit. Whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? It's even a vapor that appears for a little time, then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we shall live and do this or that. Now you boast in your arrogance. Second thing, don't boast about tomorrow. Don't take tomorrow for granted. Don't start making plans for tomorrow without seeking God's face. Even when you make a plan, always be safe and add, if God wills. Tomorrow is not promised. Don't worry about tomorrow, okay? Those who worry about tomorrow are those who do not have resources, okay? If you have resources, wherever you have resources, you don't worry about that area of your life. Where you do not have power to meet something about tomorrow, that is where you worry about, right? In the same way, when you have resources... You start boasting. Tomorrow I will do this. I will take a vacation. I will go here. God says be very careful. You book your ticket and next day you will have a heart attack and end up in the hospital and all your vacation money went there. Don't boast. When you don't have resources, we worry. When we have resources, we start making plans. We boast about tomorrow. I will do this. I will do that. I will do that. Remember the rich man? He had such a harvest. He said, I'll break down all these barns and build big one. God said, you fool. You fool. Don't you know today? So these are the two things we have to be careful about dealing today. How do you sanctify yourself today when you had dealt with the moral, ethical aspects of God's law? How do you sanctify yourself? First, dealing with worry, anxiety, worry, fear, doubt, all that. Second, you don't have those issues because you've got plenty of money, primarily money, plenty of money. Be careful You don't boast about tomorrow. You don't assume you have a tomorrow. Because a lot of people we see in the headlines, because only they come in the headlines, the dying suddenly are rich people. And if you have naughty, they all had made plans for tomorrow. But their tomorrow never came. Tomorrow never came. So God says, be. There is a day called tomorrow. I will do wonders among you tomorrow. But how you enter into a miracle working power of God of tomorrow is by learning to deal with today. Sanctify yourself today. Have peace about your past with God and deal with these issues and deal with boasting. And the next thing in Joshua, same 3, 5. Sanctify yourself for tomorrow. The Lord will do wonders among you. These are all important. Okay, please understand. A lot of people Sanctify them, so they are good people, righteous, work out their holiness, they are good people. But they have no expectation of the supernatural power of God in their life. Sanctification for sanctification sake, no expectation. You see, if you come to church, you should come with expectation, God will speak to me. You should come, when pastor prays or anybody prays or worship takes place, I am ill, I will be made well. If you don't come without expectation, you will go without expectations. Now Sunday people all are very religious. Even the nominal Christian is very religious on a Sunday. But no expectations. When you go to office, you have an expectation. When you go to a restaurant, you have an expectation. When you go to a movie theater, you have an expectation. When you go to a football match, you have an expectation. When you come to church, no expectations. And this is the God of all. That's the questions Jesus is asking. He's standing there and asking, who touched me? Who touched me? And Peter said, everybody is touching. He said, no, only one with expectation touched me. Because I felt virtue flow. The Bible says Jesus was preaching in a house and the power of God was there to heal. But one man was healed and he walked away. Why? Because they came with expectation. So even when you are sanctifying yourself and growing in your faith, we need to have expectation. Who is this God? This is a wonder working God. This is a miracle working God. Don't limit His hand. okay? Because God says he wants to show himself powerful among us in our own lives so there has to be expectations because we don't we don't understand how god works but we don't have to understand but how god works Okay, one of the smartest men ever lived was supposed to be albert einstein and albert einstein's one of his statements was that before i die i hope i understand electricity just because you don't understand electricity, you don't have to sit in the dark. I don't understand electricity, but I still use it. Okay? We will not understand how God works from Genesis 1, 1 onwards. In the beginning, God created heavens. and How are you going to understand it? Receive it all the way to Revelation 22. How will you understand it? Bible says, by faith we understand. There, understand means we believe, we trust God. He will do it, by faith. And if we don't understand, we don't believe. No? You know what? We are good, righteous, holy people, but we miss the wonder-working power of God. While somebody else who may not be so holy who <laughs> walks in and, and walks away with the wonder-working power of God. A Samaritan woman will be suddenly be transformed and turn a whole city to Christ. A woman with an issue of blood for 12 years is suddenly set free. You will see the people who experience the miracles of God in the four Gospels are people who you don't expect to receive the wonder of God. But what did they have? They expected it. They believed it. So God says believe. Okay. Because we are, we are focusing always on our solution. uh, Sorry, on our problems. I'll make a statement. God has more solutions than we have problems. God has more solutions than we have problems. And usually God's solutions we can never figure out think any one of you is Moses. You listen to God, brought the people to the edges of the Red Sea. Now you can't turn any side. Behind is the Pharaoh and the army. What is the solution you will offer God? What is the solution? You have to cross the sea. What is the solution? And what is God's solution? These are not stories. These are real events. These are not stories. These are real events. Okay. So, recapping what we looked at today, please remember. First thing God tells is, let Christ be at the center. Center, not center of the camp, but his center stage of your life. He has to go ahead of us. We have to follow him. We have to consciously try to establish the Lordship of the Holy Spirit each day. And when He is Lord, we have liberty. They are going ahead. No, Jesus said, you have to follow me. And as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they shall be called the sons of God. Second thing is, He says, sanctify yourself. Okay, if we don't sanctify ourselves, we will not move into the will of God because our minds will not understand. It basically stands by surrendering our bodies. Come, come, children, there. Listen. Okay, listen. Surrendering our bodies every day. Okay, in this body is everything your soul, your spirit, everything. He says, offer your bodies to me. That's primary. Where a body has not been surrendered, surrendered. A boy who is wandering outside on the road is not going to learn anything that is being being taught in the classroom. Because the first thing if you have to learn in a classroom is the boy or the girl has to be in the classroom. The body has to be offered and after that the soul has to be offered. The thinking has to be offered. Emotions have to be put away. Mind has to be focused. The will has to be exercised. In the world the spirit doesn't come in. It's the soul. There is a surrendering of the body first and then equipping of the soul. In the New Covenant, first is the surrendering of the soul, So, surrendering of the body in a particular way, wholly acceptable to God. And then the mind is being renewed to understand what God is trying to say and we will be able to prove, you know what, the will of God was good. It was actually pleasing and one day we will realize it was perfect the beginning, we won't understand unless our minds are renewed. So sanctify, okay? Prerequisite. No conditions. It's an unconditional surrender. You don't set conditions before God, you will never understand the will of God. You don't set conditions. And then there is a day called tomorrow. You deal with yesterday. Deal with today. Don't worry about tomorrow. Don't boast about tomorrow. And then we will see God is a God who will do wonders. Now, verse 7. And the Lord said to Joshua, this day I will begin to exalt you. Take that exaltation out if you want to no, keep it, keep it there. Okay, Exaltation is talking about Joshua contextually, but it actually also means. Okay? I will begin to exalt you in the sight of all Israel that they may know. That as I was with Moses, so I will be with you, that they may know. Okay? This is being true right from the beginning. God says, when you do all these things, I will exalt you. I will lift you up in the sight of the Gentiles, that they will know I am with you. In Joshua's case, as I was with Moses, I am with you. Go to Genesis 21, 22, 23. It came to pass at that time, Abimelech and Ficol, the commander of his army, spoke to Abraham saying, God is with you in all that you do. And therefore swear to me by God that you will not deal falsely with me, with my offspring or with my posterity, but that according to the kindness that I have done to you, you will do to me and to the land in which you have dealt. Who is coming there? The king and the commander is coming to Abraham and making a treaty with him. Abraham is a man, small man with a few hundred people in a camp. But the king is coming. Why? Because this man comes and says, you know what? I know one thing. God is with you. The Gentile is coming to the Hebrew and saying, I know something that God is with you. God is with you. I know that. That God is with you. So you realize, Abraham is being exalted. God's promise has been always through in generations to people who believed, sanctified, followed the lead of God, and lived among the Gentiles. God exalted them. Okay? Know this, he says. Know this today. They will all know. He says, they will all know that I am with you and I will exalt you. Go to Genesis 26. 26 to 29. Twenty-six to twenty-nine. This is another king, same name. Okay, Abimelech. Him. These are all titles. Okay, basically titles. Abimelech came to him from Gerar with one of his friends, and he called the commander of his army. And Isaac said to them, "Why have you come to me since you hate me and have sent me away from you? These are the people who kept on pushing and taking all the wealth you dug. Remember? But they said, "We have certainly seen that the Lord is with you, so we said." Let there be now an oath between us, between you and us, and let us make a covenant with you. You realize what is happening? The Gentiles are acknowledged. God is exalting Abraham. Now, he was a man of war. He had fought for, so he's got a different kind of image among them. But Isaac is not a man of war. He has never fought a man. But even he is exalted among them. And the king and the commanders are coming and making. Peace. And what are they all saying? They are all saying that we have certainly seen that the Lord is with you. And what did God tell Joshua? You do all these things and the people obey you. I will exalt you in their sight that they will know that I am with you. Okay. Now you go to Genesis 31 and verse 29. This is Jacob running. Okay. 31 29 and then 35 5. 31 29. It is in my power to do you harm, but the God of your father spoke to me last night and said, Be careful that you speak to Jacob neither good nor bad. This is Laban. Laban has come very angry. (laughs) This fellow escaped. Okay, but he said, You know what? I'm going to make a treaty here. I will not cross that line. You don't cross that line because the God of your father appeared to me. You know what? Laban treated Jacob like a slave. He had no this thing for him. He kept him because it's very profitable for him. It was just for a profitable slave. That's the way he treated him. But now he's very careful. He's being, Jacob is being exalted in the eyes of Laban because he says, The God of your father appeared to me last night and he spoke to me and said, That's my boy. I don't want you to do say anything to him, neither good or bad. Just leave him alone. And Laban will make a treaty with Jacob now. If you come to 35 verse 5. This is after Jacob's children did that terrible thing of killing all the people in Shechem, right? Now they are living from there, and all the plains people have heard what they have done. Look, listen to what it is written, and they journeyed, and the terror of God was upon the cities that were all around them, and they did not pursue the sons of Jacob. Jacob is exalted by God in the midst of hostile Gentiles. Though they are such a small group, these people don't even dare come against them because they are consumed by the terror of God. What is happening? God is exalting Jacob. Then the fourth generation, poor boy, is sold as a slave. And we know that very well. 39, verse 2 and verse 21. The Lord was with Joseph and he was a successful man. And he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. The master recognized what is God is doing. So many hundreds and hundreds of slaves are there in the house. Or one man is exalted in the midst. And even the master recognizes and says, your God is with you. What is happening? God is exalting him. False accusation, he is thrown into prison. Prison is full of prisoners and all are from the king's palace. This fellow is thrown over there. And the Bible says the Lord was with him and showed him mercy and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. So you will realize whatever situations we are caught in, we have a pattern, a consistency of behavior of God with his people. He says, if you do these things, if you do these things, they will know I am with you. And I will exalt you. So keep these things. We have to believe. If I keep Christ in the center, if I allow the lordship of the Holy Spirit, if I allow the Spirit of God to lead me and sanctify myself, what will He do? He will exalt me. He will exalt. He will See that others are able to recognize that God is with me. Now, important part for today's message, most important part connected with yesterday. Go to verse 9 and 10. Joshua said to the children of Israel, Come here and hear the words of the Lord your God. One was connected with Joshua. Now he is telling the children. By this, you shall know. By this, you shall know. Right? By that, they would know. God was with him. But by this, we shall know. The living God is among you. Take it personally. By this, I will know that God is living in me. By this, I will experience the power and the presence of God. What is that? He will without fail, 100%, he will without fail drive out from before you the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Hivites and the Perisites, the Gergasites, the Amorites and the Jebusites. Can I have verse 11 also? Or I don't think, uh, yeah, yeah, uh, 10 is enough okay. God had said, there are seven nations in that land, stronger than you. We had already told them, stronger than you. But this is how you will know. By this you shall know. Okay. Remember, it's just one verse in 3.10. This is going to be the key words for the entire record of Joshua. This is how you will know. This is how. We also need to understand Personally speaking, this is how I will know. This is how Moses will know. This is how John will know. This is how each one will know. God is living in me. It's a living thing. How? Because there are seven nations or seven spirits in me. Seven. These are, these are demonic pictures. Okay, these are demonic pictures. What are these? These are seven nations. These are demonic entities that was in my old self. Which you and I have to put to death. Otherwise we cannot receive the new life of Christ Jesus. You have to possess the land. But the problem is in the land there are already people living. And they are not going to give up easily. They are not going to give up easily. So God says there is an old man. <laughs> Born in sin. Shaped in iniquity. He's not going to give up easily. And he talks about the perfection. Seven is the number of perfection. This is the perfection of the demonic. The perfection of the enemy that is in us. In all of us, every man under the sun, the old man, has the perfect capacity to commit all sin. Not not some sin, all sin. Everybody is the same that way. It's our conditions that refrain us from committing those sins. But all of us have the same capacity, perfect number seven. Okay, same capacity to commit all the sins under the sun. So when you gave that power to a man called Solomon, he went to the extremes. Do you see that? Why? Because he had the power and the time and the ability. So he went the all nine yards. So we need to realize that there is a Solomon in all of us. Not the wise one, the foolish one. Okay. If we have the power... And the capacity and no restraints, we will also go all the way. We will also go all the way. It is within us. And these seven nations have to be subjugated. That is how I will know that God is among us. That is how I will know. Okay. Now, Joshua is speaking. But the Bible is very clear. The people, the ancients spoke as the spirit of Christ spoke through them. So it is Christ speaking to you and to me and in in theology you call it what you call it is an assurance word. this is how you will know by this you shall know. I'll give you a few examples john thirteen thirty five Gospel according to John thirteen and verse thirty five by this we'll all know. By this, all will know that you are my disciples. God says, if you live as a loving community, one another, everybody will know you are my disciples. By this, will all know that you are my disciples. When you become an unloving community, by this, all will know you are not my disciples. By this, you shall know. Go to 1 John, go to 1 John, chapter 2 and verse 3. I want to show you what God is talking about. This is what we call as an assurance. It's a finality about this. Now by this we know that we know Him if we keep His commandments. Did you see? So that we will know. We will know. By this we know that we know Him if we keep His commandments. 1 John 4 6. We are of God. He who knows God hears us. He who is not of God does not hear us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. So, John is saying, I know who I am. I am of God. He who knows God hears us. Anybody sitting in the church, John is saying, if you listen to me, he listens to God. He who is not of God does not hear us. By this we know. The spirit of truth and the spirit of error. By this we know. I know this is one is of God. This is not one of us. You know this is in the truth. This is in the error. How? Because he listens to me. By this we know. How does a pastor know his sheep? He's giving us a format. No. Sheep know their pastor. Pastor doesn't know their sheep. By this we know. So these are assurance verses. There are so many in the Bible. Let's go back to 3.10. Just one verse under which the whole conquest of the promised land hangs in. By this you shall know the living God is among you. By this we will all know God is living in me. The spirit of God is living in me. I belong to Christ the conqueror. How? He will without fail dry out within me these seven nations with the seven characteristics. The seven nations, driven out, we will know. And who is the first one mentioned? The Canaanites. The first one mentioned are the Canaanites. The Canaanites are the first one mentioned. Go to Matthew 12 and verse 29. Or how can one enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods? Unless he first binds a strong man, then he will plunder his house. Okay. So they are going to go into the promised land. They are already at the borders. They are going to cross River Jordan. And there are seven nations. And God says, the first one, if you don't handle the first one, the first one, that's a strong man. If you don't handle the first one, all the others will become very difficult. This is the strong man. This is the first one. The Canaanites, Canaan. You have to deal with the Canaanites. Okay, the Canaanites. Now listen carefully. Go to Job chapter 41 and verse 6. And then Proverbs 31 and verse 24. Will your companions make a banquet of him? Will they apportion him among the merchants? The word there, merchants, is Canaanite. Okay. In Hebrew, the word there, merchant, is Canaanite. Go to Proverbs 31 and verse 24. She makes garments, linen garments, sells them and supplies sashes for the merchants. The word there for merchants is Canaanite. In Isaiah, a different connotation is used. Isaiah 23 and verse 8. 23 and verse 8. Okay. Who has taken this counsel against Tyre, the crowning city, whose merchants are princes, who traders are the honorable of the earth? There the word merchants is the actual word Canaanite with the connotation of traffickers. Okay. Traffickers. So, we need to understand why we have to deal with the Canaanite spirit first. Because if you don't deal with the Canaanite spirit who is mentioned first, we will never progress anywhere. Original Canaanite, original trafficker. Go to Ezekiel 28 and we will read from verse 12 onwards. First, Son of man, take up a lamentation for the king of Tyre and say to him, Thus says the Lord God, You were the seal of perfection, full of wisdom, perfect in beauty. Now we know very well, God is talking about Lucifer. You were in Eden, the garden of God. All his decorations are mentioned. We will leave that. Go to verse 14. You were the anointed cherub. You were there on the holy mountain. And verse 15. You were perfect in your ways from the day you were created till iniquity was found in you. Let us further, by the abundance of your trading, trafficking. He is the original Canaanite. You became filled with violence within and you sinned. Therefore, I cast you as a profane thing out of the mountain of God. You need to realize the original Canaanite spirit. The original Canaanite is Lucifer. He's a trafficker and he's full of violence to get what he wants. You will use any methods, bend, break. Go towards 18. You defiled your sanctuaries by the multitude of your iniquities, by the iniquity of your trading. You are a merchant. You are a trafficker. Therefore I brought fire from your midst. It devoured you. So you need to understand what God is trying to tell us. The original trafficker, the Canaanite, is Lucifer. We know about Nineveh very well because of Jonah we know about Nineveh. Look at what in Nahum, okay, 316, God's judgment over these nations, Nineveh. You have multiplied your merchants more than the stars of heaven. In a way, traffickers, merchants, okay? Please understand. That is what we need to understand. This entire world system is built on that. Nobody is bothered about anything except the economy. It's all about merchandise and merchants and trading and selling and buying. That's why Jesus said, be careful. The last days will be like that. Buying and selling, buying and selling, buying and selling. Okay, entire thing is built on that. Go to Revelation chapter 18, verses 1, 2 and 3. After these things, I saw another angel coming down from heaven, having great authority, and the earth was illuminated with his glory He cried mightily with a loud voice, saying, Babylon, the great is fallen, is fallen, has become a dwelling place of demons, a prison for every foul spirit, a cage for every unclean and hated bird. Okay. For all the nations have drunk of the wine of the wrath of a fornication. The kings of the earth have committed fornication with her and the merchants of the earth have become rich through the abundance of her luxury. You need to realize this is always how. If if you have read your history or your literature, you would always knew in the Middle Ages, Jews were hated. The reason was Jews were very rich. They they had that gift to make money, whichever way. They were very rich. Even today, much of the banking is in their hands. That's why you look at names, they're all Jewish. So when kings had to go to war, they had to borrow from the Jews. Okay, that's why you have Merchant of Venice, Shylock, the pound of flesh and all that. Okay, so you need to realize there was always from the beginning a combination of kings and merchants. Right? Kings and merchants. Kings need money. Merchants have money. That's how it works. Okay, kings And the merchants, they always go together. So if you hit a very big merchant, the king will cover him. Like if you hit Adani, the whole system will cover him. Nothing has changed in 6,000 years. It's always a plot between the merchants and the rolling class, elite and the rolling class. Because the rolling class needs money and the money is with them. So they like, you scratch my back, I scratch your back. So you will see the kings and the merchants. So we had COVID lockdown going in, but the very rich only got richer. They did not, nobody lost money. They became richer. Okay. So this system, Babylonian system is built with that. Now read from verse 11. Then you will understand how the spirit operates. 11 to 13. The merchants of the earth will weep and mourn over her. When Babylon crashes, and Bible says in one day she will crash. We don't know how long that one day is, what it is, but one hour, I think. One hour it will crash. Okay, one hour it will crash. And the merchants of the earth will weep and moan over her for no one. Wherever you see the word merchant, use Canaanite. Okay, no one buys their merchandise anymore. And then a list is given. Merchandise of gold and silver, precious stones, pearls, fine linen, purple, silk and scarlet, every kind of citron wood, every kind of object of ivory, object of most precious wood, bronze, iron, marble, cinnamon, incense, fragrant oil, frankincense, wine and oil, fine flour and wheat, cattle, sheep, horses, chariots and what are they? Traffickers of bodies and souls of men. Bodies and souls of men. This is what Babylon actually traffics in. Okay. They actually traffic in bodies and souls of men. Everywhere in the world. Bodies and souls of men. We all might be wearing it. We may like our clothes and all. But if you actually go to the garment factories in Bangladesh and all. Where with the great label. We buy it. But if you know where it is made. It is like a sweatshop. Ten thousands and thousands backed and that's well some time back when a garment factory caught fire how many hundreds how many died no, it's made like that and they're given meager wages and they sit there and work 12 hour shifts and all that, no? One of the times when I went, before COVID, when I went to Malaysia, all the people who gathered for that meetings because it was Chinese lunar year were garment workers. All the way from Nepal, they were there working. Garment workers. And they all live in small rooms, 5 cents, 12 of them. Garment. And we wear all their clothes. You need to realize Babylon is built on this. There's nothing fair in the way Babylon operates. Nothing fair in the way ba- Babylon operates only on the agenda of gain, of money. Okay? That is why God says, don't worry. Don't worry. Matthew 6, 31 to 33. Yeah, 6, Therefore, do not worry. What shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? The fundamental basic. Because for after all these things, the Gentiles seek for you. But your heavenly father knows that you need all these things. He says, don't give in to the Babylonian spirit. Either through worry or covet. Don't give in to that Babylonian spirit. Because your father already knows what you need. Your father already knows what you need go to first timothy chapter 6 read from verse 7 to 10 these are warnings given how you handle this first spirit let as many bond servants yeah now godliness with contentment is great gain for we brought nothing into this world and it is certain we can carry nothing out having food and clothing and if you look at us all of us you know what we all of, all of us have it. <laughs> we all of us have food and clothing. Right? We all have food and clothing. With these we shall be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare into many foolish and harmful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil for which some have strayed from faith in their greediness, and pierce themselves through with many sorrows. But you, man of God, flee these things. Okay? So the warnings are all there, all there. So if you come to John chapter 2, verse 13 to 17, and then Matthew 21, 12 and 13. Okay? John chapter 2, 13 to 17. This is Jesus beginning his ministry 2,000 years ago, same season. Like I told you, we'll have Wednesday evening service, English, because it's Passover. Now Passover of the Jews was at hand and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. What did he find in the temple? He found in the temple those who sold oxen and sheep and doves and money changers doing business. In the temple. And when he had made a whip of cords, he drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and the oxen, poured out the changes' money, and overturned the tables. And he said to those who sold doves, Take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of merchandise. Now we are the father's house. We are not talking about the church. We are talking about as individuals. We are the father's house. And he says, You have to first and foremost. When Joshua entered, and when Jesus begins, he drives out the spirit of Canaan, the Canaanite spirit. He says, My house will not be a house of merchandise. No? Because always basically what I, I will come to that because this is important, so I'm not going to speak skip over it. Matthew 21, 12 and 13. Jesus, this is when at the end of his ministry. End of his ministry. Jesus went into the temple of God, drew out all those who bought and, sold, bought and sold in the temple, overturned the tables of money changers and seats of those who sold out. So you need to realize, yes. And he said to them, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer, and you have made it a den of thee. So twice he does it, the beginning of his ministry, and the end of his ministry, he drives all the merchants out of the temple. Okay, and we need to understand what the temple means in the New covenant, and we will realize Israel is going to learn the lesson a very, very hard way in chapter six and verse nineteen, Joshua chapter six and verse nineteen. all the silver, gold vessels of bronze and iron are consecrated to the Lord, they shall come into the treasury of the Lord. God says when you enter in. I will take care of Jericho. You don't worry. You just do what I tell you to do. March 13 times 7 days. It will come down. Again, finish everybody. But everything else dedicated for the Lord. Okay? Dedicated for the Lord. They dedicated it for the Lord. But they didn't realize the Canaanite spirit entered into one man. Chapter 7, verse 1. 7, verse 1. Okay? And then 4 to 5. 4 and 5 now the children of israel committed a trespass regarding the accursed thing for akkan the son of carmi what did he do took of the accursed thing if you look what did he do he took a babylonian garment and a chunk of gold or silver or whatever he took it and hid it now you go to verse 4 and 5 about 3000 men up there from the people but they fled before the men of ai and men of ai struck down 36 men And they chased them down before and struck them. And therefore the hearts of the people melted and became like water. What happened there? Do you see what happened? The Canaanite spirit entered into a man and the nation was defeated. Now they have crossed Jordan. They were defeated. They couldn't stand before their enemies. So God said, if you don't deal with this first one, you will never progress in your spiritual life. This is the foremost. You have to make your decision. Am I going to serve God or money? As long as you haven't made this decision. now you don't have to serve money by wanting to rich. You can serve money by worrying about money all the time. It works both ways. Because when you worry about money, you are replacing money as God by saying, if I had money, I could handle these problems. I don't need God. But Lord, Lord, Lord. But you are always asking for money. You are not asking for God. We don't understand worry and covetousness are both two end sides of the same spectrum. And you know what? We are not able to progress anymore. And they were defeated. And God is telling them, this is the first one. First spirit you have to handle. If you do not defeat the spirit of gain, of covetousness, he says you will not progress. In Matthew 6 and verse 24. 6.24 Jesus makes it, No one can serve two masters. And he says, No one? It means everyone. Neither I nor you, nobody can serve two masters. For either he will hate one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. First is general, then it is specific. General rule matters, okay? Generally, don't say He's only talking about God and mammon. It's a general rule, okay? See, one of the fundamental reasons families have issues okay, with children, families have issues with children, is because there is no unity, cohesion between the father and mother. No child can serve two parents. No child can love two parents. The two parents have to act like one, so there is no division. When father says one thing, mother contradicts, the child will fall apart. The child cannot manage that, because it is a law established by God. And families fall apart, it's because there is no. That's why God puts an order in the family. And father says one thing, mother says no, do The child automatically has fallen apart. Because God said, you cannot serve. You cannot. And you cannot love. The father is tough, but true, right? And he says, this is what you need to do. Mother says, ah, leave it alone, this thing, you know what? He will hate the father and love the mother. Even if he's forced because of fear to serve what God says, he will not love him, but he will. And when he gets a chance, he will go with the other, or vice versa. These are fundamental principles. That is why there should never be disunity, disunity at, at the leadership level. Whether it's a home or a church or a nation at the top, there has to be, because you know what? People will fall apart. Fall apart. Okay. It cannot work any other way. And then God comes to the specific and says, You know what? You will ultimately end up by serving one or the other. Either you serve God or you serve Mammon. And when I worry, when I worry, I serve Mammon. I serve Mammon. That's why God says, Gentiles are always worrying about what to eat, what to drink, what to this thing. Those who have don't have their worrying. But your father already knows. You need them. If you worry, you will end up serving that. On the other hand, if you trust God, he will be able to provide it for you. He may correct you in so many things because there are so many lessons about management, thrift and not emotional buying and counting your cost and be shrewd in all these things. There are a lot of principles, but God is able to teach you only when you stop worrying. God can teach, can't teach anything to people who haven't surrendered every area or different areas of their life. Okay. You can't teach a worrying child. You can't teach a worrying child. So you have to understand God is dealing with a primary lesson to a generation who has wandered for 38 years in the desert. He said, you're going to cross over. And this is how you will know God is among you. This is how you will know God is in you when you have overcome the Canaanite spirit in your life. You will know God is living in you. You need to understand that is why in the old covenant, Tithes was introduced. Okay? Tithes is being introduced, meaning, say, the only way you can break this spirit is by giving. So they were told to give primarily first ten percent and then different other offerings and this thing. So when they are entering the promised land, there's is huge prosperous city. He says the first thing you will have to do is deal with that spirit in your heart. Everything in that spirit, set it apart for God. Don't touch it. The rest you can have. But first thing, that's why the tenth tithe is your first portion. Not your last portion. First portion. Why? You are constantly, old days it was weekly, then it became monthly, whichever the format is, depending on those who got weekly wages or daily, whatever it was, no, whatever God is saying. Break that spirit. Break that spirit. You have to consciously Have to fight that spirit. Otherwise, he says, you will never progress. You will be always defeated by the inhabitants of. Okay. Understand how false prophets and preachers make use of this lesson. Okay. Understand motivation. They use what God says is one thing, but that shouldn't be our motivation they will use the motivation of giving to get. So it becomes like a stock market. Give and it shall be given to you, pressed together, shaken together, and all that they will say. But the whole motivation changes. Now mammon is controlling mammon. And you need to realize the entire spectrum of almost of uh, prosperity gospel is built on that. And people are giving only to get. And you have not escaped that spirit. You are still bound by the same spirit, because that's what people do in the stock market. (laughs) And if you don't get, you will stop giving. If that is your motivation, you will only give if there is returns. As soon as you see the returns are not happening, you will withdraw your money from the market. So that cannot be the motivation. So there also you are wrong. Okay. So the motivation is this, Hebrews 13, 5 and 6. 13, 5, and 6. Let your conduct be without covetousness. That is the Canaanite spirit. Be content with such things as you have. For he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. He says, you be content. You don't be worried. The reason is because I am with you. God is with us. Emmanuel, God with us. I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we may boldly say, the Lord is my, is my helper. He will meet me at my point of need. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Okay. he's talking about dealing with the spirit of Canaan. So you go to Acts chapter 2. Verse 42 to 47. Acts chapter 2, then Acts chapter 5. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles doctrine, fellowship, breaking of bread, in prayer. The format has been set, they are moving. And the Bible says, then fear came upon every soul. Many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Look at how it is written. And next, now all who believed were together and had all things in common. So what happens in the early church? The first thing that is broken is the Canaanite spirit is broken. And sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had need? Know what happened? People are coming from everywhere. There are rich there, there are poor there, and you know what happened? The spirit of Christ is breaking the canonized spirit. So, those who had multiple houses and land and all sold it and brought it and put it so that the others could have it. Nobody had to do anything. The spirit is being broken. As soon as the spirit is broken, things were happening in the church. Things were happening in the church. Okay. This, this, this are practical realities. They were all in common. And verse 46. Okay. And continuing daily with one accord in the temple, breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God, having favor with all the people, and the Lord added to the church daily those who are being saved. God could add to that church. That is how it happened. And in Acts chapter 5, suddenly comes two people. Now they are also giving. But their motivation is completely different. That's what I said. You, They are giving to get. They are not giving because they see there is a need. They are giving to be recognized and to be So The Canaanite spirit has come. A certain man named Ananias with Sapphira, his wife, sold a possession, kept back part of the proceeds. His wife, also being aware of it, brought a certain part and laid it at the apostles' feet. An intervention. Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit? Keep back part of the price of the land for yourself. While it remained, was it not your own? After it was sold, was it not your own? What is God saying? God says, you have to do it voluntarily. With no hidden agenda. No compulsion. No hidden agenda. You can't bring that spirit into the church. Because mammon does not mean just money. It means the gain that comes from money. What will I gain? What will I gain? What will I gain? That is what money. By what people are after money. When, uh, like I said, no... The devalued notes, nobody keeps it. (laughs) Who wants that note? Because no gain from it. You are allowed to keep only one note in your house. More than one, it is a crime now. Okay, so you need to understand, what will I gain out of it? What will I gain out of it? The Canaanite spirit came into the church and we know the story. What happened? God had to intervene. We know the man dies, the woman dies. And if you come to verse 11, 14 you will see immediately what happens immediately she fell down dead at his feet breathed the young man. and verse 11 great fear came upon all the church and upon all who heard this thing wait a second is that what happened in Acts chapter 2 fear of Lord was there God was doing great signs and wonders among them everybody had everything in, in common and suddenly this spirit is removed again that order is restored And through the hands of the apostles, what is happening? Signs and wonders are again restored. What was stopping it? The Canaanite spirit. (laughs) The Canaanite spirit stopped the flow of the Holy Spirit because two people came with it. God removed them out of the way and the spirit is continuing his work. And they were all with one accord in Solomon's Isn't that exactly written, that same words written in Acts chapter 2? Yes, there was no Canaanite spirit. It is flowing smoothly. These people came in. That spirit is removed and go back to leaven. Yeah, okay. And look at the hands, man. They were all in verse um, 13 and 14. If you want to read that, it is over there. Okay. And you will see yet none of the rest dared to join them. People esteemed them highly. And verse 14 will say, and the believers were in. Increasingly added to the Lord, multitude of both men and women. That narrative is exactly the same. Somebody, two people came with a Canaanite spirit and tried to stop the flow of the spirit. God removed them and the spirit continued flowing. It can happen at a personal level. Okay, you might be walking in the spirit and suddenly prosperity comes in. And then that Canaanite spirit touches your soul. Now everything is valued in terms of how is it my gain, 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 gain. And the spirit stops. And when that spirit is removed, the Holy Spirit still starts moving in you again. This is the fundamental block in a man's life. So that is why there are seven nations in this land. You will surely know God is with you. How? When you see God driving these spirits out. So if the ark has to go before us, money has to be behind us. Otherwise, it doesn't matter how sanctified you are. Honestly, the rich young ruler was a sanctified man. He said, I have kept all this from childhood. Jesus touched the Canaanite spirit in him, said, sell all that you have give it to the poor and follow me. And the Bible says, he went sadly and Jesus looked at him sorrowfully and said, it's easier for a camel to enter into a, through the eye of a needle than for the rich man, that Canaanite spirit. These are realities which we have to look at it. So you always have to be very, very, I'm talking to young people who are studying because every motivation for career also is connected with money. Your security is not in God. Your leading is not, what does God want me to do in this life? I'm looking in a career which has more better job opportunities and better financial remuneration so that I can be secure. God says, you know what? It's not going to work. You will make money. But when you reach the other side, you will realize you have no inheritance. Why? Because you did not deal with the primary spirit. This is called the spirit of the world. The spirit of the world is the spirit of mammon. It's all based on self, the old man, and it is based on gain. We need money to live, but God knows. That's why God says God knows, right? Matthew 6 32 and then 6.11, Matthew 6.32, After all these things the Gentiles seek, but for your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. He knows. So we can live without worry. We can live without covetousness because my Father knows. In Matthew 6.11, one simple line in the Lord's Prayer. How simple is it? What is that? Give us this day our daily? bread. Okay. So please understand. Then only God can teach us and move us further, 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 further. Matthew 10 verse 8. Heal the sick. Cleanse the lepers. Raise the dead. Cast out demons, and there is a fundamental law. What is that? Freely you have received, freely give. Go to Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, you will understand. What did we actually freely receive? What is that we receive from God freely? For by grace you have been saved through faith, that not of yourself, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. What did we freely receive? The grace of God. By faith, I stand each day. My daily bread for today is, you know what it is? It's grace. And it is free. And my grace is sufficient for thee. He gives us grace for today. And we receive it freely. And because you have received grace freely, please remember, freely give. Don't have the Canaanite spirit. Okay. Go to 2nd Corinthians. I'm not finished yet because this is one of the most important teachings we need if you are going any further. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, 1 and 3. And then verse 5, 6, 7. <coughs> Moreover, brethren, we make known to you the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia. He says, you know the churches in Macedonia? Who's who's he writing to? The church in Corinth. They're all in the Greek area. Macedonia was in Greece earlier. Okay, So he says, do you know how the grace of God was poured upon the churches of Macedonia? Oh, you church in Corinth, that in great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy, their deep poverty abounded in the riches of their liberality. He says, you know what? Among all of you, this was one of the poorest churches. For I bear witness that according to their ability, beyond their ability, they were freely willing. Let me tell you, he says, you know what, there was this grace, I saw the grace of God operating in the church of Macedonia. It was not a big mega church, it was a very small poor church. And you know what, they just gave liberally. Look at verse 5. Okay, 5-1 five words, yeah. And not only as we had hoped, but they first gave themselves to the Lord. And then to us by the will of God. They gave themselves. So we urged Titus that as he had begun, so he would also complete this grace in you as well. He said, you know what? I told Titus, I'm sending you to Corinth. I told Titus, you know what? I want the church in Corinth to become like the church in Macedonia. First, give yourself. Okay, two, give your resources also according to the will of God. Okay, if you have noticed, because we have to be on the pulpit to notice people. Okay, we know our service is supposed to finish by 12 and then we vacate for the next service to come. Okay, 12 go downstairs, have your fellowship. But almost every Sunday when we finish at 12.45, 12.50, we have to tell the people, move, 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 move and dismantle the whole thing. You know why? Because there's still, that's not the time to fellowship. That's not the time to fellowship. That's the time to move and set so that you can fellowship without worry. But nobody listens. You know why? Because honestly, it's not on you. It's on me. Because if I'm late, you guys do it late. The question comes to me. You left 10 minutes late. You left. You took our time. So people have to learn in every situation what is to give yourself first. Yourself first. Yourself first. Okay. And this you have to train. I will tell you about two people I've noticed in the church. All of you do it, but I'm talking about when they came as newcomers. First time when they came in. One was a boy called Johan, who came, young man from Johan, who came from Bangalore. Remember? He came for the first time to church. As soon as church is over, he's there helping, dismantling. Second was Brother John Wesley. Okay. He came. Nobody has to tell anything to him. He's over there. Others are there. Grown up with the church. These are people who came for the first time. And you see, here, because you know what? They have decided. It doesn't matter which church I go. It's my father's house. I have given myself. Given myself. You know? This consciousness should be there everywhere, as children in the home. This consciousness should be there. It is not all about studies. It's about, there are many chores in the house where you can make life easy. Make life easy. You can make life easy for your parents. But for that, you have to give yourself first. First. And then he says, according to the will of God, out of liberality, grace so the grace of God poured upon this poor church, how they gave themselves and how they gave of their money. And come to verse 6 and 7. No? Okay. So we urged that as he had begun, he would also complete this grace in you as well. Oh, Corinthian church, you're always sprouting your gifts and tongues and all that. Would you just give yourself? And give your money. Because there are so many churches in need. For as you abound in everything. You tell the Corinthian church, you abound in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in diligence, in your love for us. See that you abound in this grace also. What is the grace? The grace of giving. It's a grace. Once that grace comes into your life, you know one thing, you know what? Lord, there are seven nations, but the big fellow, I overcame. The first fellow I overcame. Canaanite spirit has been broken. Now I can handle the others by yoga. Because if I can bind the strong man, okay, that's why God didn't take, see, God can take us through any route. He didn't take them to I, small town, you win, your confidence level will grow. He says, no, go after the big one first. Big one first. Jericho. You don't even have to worry, the walls will fall down, you can, but there is one test for you. The test is not the walls. The test is not the mighty men. The test is don't touch anything from that. Give it all over to God. That is your test. And they failed. One man failed. When they failed, the little town called I whooped them and 36 men died. If we can handle the Canaanite spirit, I'm telling you, you will be able to handle the other spirit. So, this first day of fasting, the seven days of fasting, deal with this spirit first. Don't look what is in it for me. How does this profit me? Because the whole world is working based on profit, profit loss, profit loss. In the kingdom of God, Jesus says, if you want to follow me, you have to first deny yourself. Consider it as loss. On the other side, it will be gained. So Paul says, all that I consider has profit, I consider has rubbish, that I may gain Christ Jesus. He inverts the equation over there. Otherwise we will never, saved, wandering. We'll never progress further. One extreme of that gain is worry. Other extreme of that is coveture. Both are the same. Both are the same. Both are the same. Okay. Now, for a minute, think about the things you are worrying. If money can handle it, that means money has replaced God there. Why are you worrying? Why are you worrying? Because He promised, I will never leave you nor forsake you. You will never understand the will of God. You will never walk in the will of God. You will be always wondering. All the promises are there. You are never able to take it. God is telling us something serious over there. Please don't worry. Final verse for today. Maybe last but final. Paul also said that, so I can say that. James chapter 5 verses 1 to 6 and then one more verse. James chapter 5 verses 1 to 6. Come now, you rich. Weep and howl for your miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches are corrupted. Your garments are moth eaten. Your gold and silver are corroded, and the corrosion will be a witness against you, and you will eat your flesh like fire. You have heaped up treasure in the last days. Indeed, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, cry out. The cries of the reapers have reached the ears of the Lord of Saboth. Whose ears had his blood? The Lord of? The captain of the horse, the general of the army, vengeance is coming. You have lived on earth in pleasure and luxury. You have fattened your hearts as in the day of slaughter. You have condemned, you have murdered the just. He does not resist you. So in your condemnation, No, no. you don't have to be rich to become that. You just want to be rich, that's enough. That spirit takes over final verse for today. Zechariah 14 and verse 21. Yes, every part in Jerusalem and Judah, it's talking about the Old Covenant and the New Covenant, shall be holiness to the Lord of hosts. Everyone who sacrifices shall come and take them, cook in them. In that day, There shall no longer be a Canaanite in the house of the Lord of hosts. There shall be no merchant in the house of the Lord. That's what God says. There will be no merchant, no Canaanite spirit in the house of God. Be very, very careful about what God is talking to them about and He's talking to us too. Whether it was the second generation entering into the promised land or the church beginning, the first spirit God dealt with is with that spirit. Then most of us, all of us will say, I don't have to worry about it because I don't have money anyway. No, Do you worry? Do you make your choices because of that? Are our choices made by that? God says, where am I? Surely you will know that God is with you. God is among you. and That he will go back to 3.10. Joshua 3.10. Surely you will know. You can know it with assurance. How do you know? Because, yes, Joshua said, by this you shall know. The living God is among you. And he will without fail dry out before you. Whom? First, Canaanite. Canaanite. Learn from biblical history. You know, Abraham entered into the promised land. God appeared to him made the promises, everything. He built an altar and he worshipped God. And the next thing that happens is what? There is famine. And the Canaanite spirit entered into him. He sold his wife and took refuge in Egypt. He was overcome by the Canaanite spirit. He could not overcome the Canaanite spirit in the beginning. That spirit took over him. And Pharaoh made him very rich. They came out. Now both of them are rich. He goes and surrenders, deals with that spirit. But now there is conflict between two groups. Why? Because they were very rich. Strife has begun because the Canaanite spirit becomes brings strife. And the one who is empowered by the Canaanite spirit has to be separated from Abraham and then will only God will speak to Abraham. This spirit is following the father of believers. And ultimately in Genesis 22, when he takes his only son, puts him on the altar and he, you know what he's actually destroying? is destroying the Canaanite spirit will have no hold over me for me to lo- lose his gain. It's not going on about riches. It's talking about the spirit. Abraham is an extremely rich man. And his future is Isaac. And he's dying him on the altar. There's no Canaanite spirit him at all. And you see the difference. It can be like God says, uh, two will be in the bed, one will be taken, and one will be left behind. Think about two people in the bed. One is Job, one is Job's wife. He's an extremely rich man, the richest man on earth. In one day, he loses everything. There is no Canaanite spirit in him because he bows down and worships the Lord by saying, the Lord giveth, the Lord taketh, blessed be the name of the Lord. What does his wife say? Curse God and die. She is consumed by that spirit. So if you were to see a picture of a husband and wife on the day of rapture, the one who has broken, that spirit is taken, the other one is left behind. They are in the same house, living under the same, but one has dealt with it because your response to situations will show. How do we deal with this? So during this season, you know, this season, we have to deal with the spirit because God sent His only Son to die for us, what was He counting on? <laughs> when the second person of the Trinity is going to change His whole form and forever going to have a body like us, He's looking at loss and not gain. His only gain is that He's going to get a redeemed church. He endured the cross, the shame of the cross at the joy that is set before Him. What is His joy? Us. And can we go to him with that Canaanite spirit? Because Canaan is a trafficker of souls and bodies of men. Bodies of men. And you know what? Abraham became a trafficker. Because when they came and asked him, is this your wife? He said, she is my sister. He became a trafficker. How that Canaanite spirit entered into his heart. The man. So we have to be very careful. These are not small things. These are things on which eternity is going to determine our own eternity. And these are the nations. And the first and the foremost nation is this. So don't worry and don't be God, That's why Jesus keeps on saying, don't worry. There is a day called tomorrow. The day of wonders. But the day called tomorrow cannot come until you have learned to deal with the day called today. And yesterday. Then tomorrow will come. So sanctify yourself. Sanctify yourself. They had to deal with these things. This is the spirit of Babylon. The spirit of Egypt. Like I always talk about Akka. He must have been an older man because he had children and all. After seeing the judgments of God in Egypt. Crossing the Red Sea. Wandering for 40 years. The spirit still was lurking inside this man. What more do you have to see to destroy that spirit? And that got hold of him. And he was destroyed. And his entire generation was destroyed. Once that family representing that spirit was removed, Israel started winning again. And God says, when that is removed from our hearts, God will start manifesting his life in us again and we will be able to experience this. So this morning we will pray. Father this morning we come to you Lord. We commit ourselves Lord. Lord that you would search our hearts oh Father. Because these things lurk in the inner recesses of our own souls oh Lord. They hide very nicely. Come Camouflage themselves well with good intentions but it's so deep rooted the spirit of Canaan oh Lord they're always looking at how does it profit me what do I get out of this that's why Lord you said if any man wants to come after me he has to deny himself the Canaanite spirit teach us Lord each day so that they will know, the people around will know that you are truly in us and among us as we defeat these forces in that old man the spirit of Canaan because You said in that day in Jerusalem and Judah in the house of God there will be no Canaanite no merchant the devil the devil is a merchant He's a trafficker of bodies and souls of men. And this whole world is controlled by such powers who traffic in the bodies and souls of men. Always looking for profit, for gain. But Lord, your church cannot be that. Because the church is built on that rock Christ Jesus who lay down his life and that's what you ask your church every day you showed us a way and you are always showing us the same way the way up is down you have to lay down before you can pick up there is gain only in loss there is only loss in gain No man can serve two masters. It's impossible. Not God and gain. This morning, Father, I pray you will deal with your sword of your spirit. Show us those hidden things in us, Lord. Help us not to pursue like the Israelites. No, I don't have that. Let not time reveal it like in Akkan's case. It was too late. He should have dealt with that in Egypt or when he crossed the Red Sea or during the wanderings in the wilderness. He should have dealt with it. It was too late. and He brought the ruin of his own household I pray, Father, we learn and we teach our children that same grace to be upon us, to be givers, always givers of our time, of our talents, of our resources. For you said, it is more blessed to give than to receive and not to worry because, Lord, often we make so many decisions important decisions in life because we are worried if I don't do this what will happen to me how will I meet my needs and we make terrible decisions Lord what Canaan the spirit of Canaan can cause us to do help us Lord help us deliver us from that spirit Lord Above all, that was the first spirit they had to encounter. That's the first spirit we'll have to encounter. Whom will I serve today, God or Mammon? Whom will I love today, God or Mammon? Touch, Lord, touch. Commit ourselves, send the church into thy hands, O oh Lord. Help us, Lord, to be known like the church in Macedonia. Not the church in Corinth. Full of gifts. But they were not givers. Macedonia was full of givers. Poor but givers. Who gave beyond their ability. And your servant's prayer was that this grace should be there on the other churches too. For it is the grace of God. Manifested grace of God. That we are able to give. Because God is a giver. Touch Lord, touch today. Pray for everyone Lord, that we will never stop giving until our last breath. To end like Jacob, he died giving a blessing to his children. Like Moses blessing the nation of Israel. They were all givers. freely we have received freely we have given that's been our testimony Lord we have given beyond our ability we have given showed us a way right in the beginning and I pray we will end also that way Lord as a church when you come help us to be known as a people who gave Everything to God and to His people. Never held anything back. Help us to believe that I can do all things through Christ Jesus who strengthens me. Touch Lord, touch us today. Help Lord, us to learn this lesson above all. Faithful God, we believe you are with us. We believe you are going before us. And our eyes are upon you. Truly, Father, we haven't gone this way before. We haven't gone this way before. But we are confident. If we keep our eyes on you, we cannot go wrong. You never get lost. You never err in your ways. You never lead us in the wrong path. You lead us on the- green pastures, still waters. Even if we go through the valley of shadow of death, you are there with us. Thank you. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. We bless your holy name, Lord. We bless your holy name. We bless your holy name. We proclaim in your house, thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory. All God's people said, Amen, Amen, Amen.